Good afternoon. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wissinger. And we are here each and every week to give you the very best in entertainment. We talk about movies, we talk about TV, but we don't talk about all those things that you read in gossip magazines or on other entertainment shows. We like to focus on the positive. And the positive and the good and the best in entertainment today is the best of last year. Right. 2019. Happy New Year, Jeff. Thank you. It's the first show of 2020. My, uh, how's the year going for you? You know, uh, movie-wise, I I've only seen one uh, new movie, and uh, it was very good. It was Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, and uh, we may be talking about that movie later oh, on in the program. I think we will. <laughs> but first, let's get back to that best of the news, as we always like to start off this weekend before the Oscars and every other awards get on onto the stage. The Golden Globes kind of get there first, right? The Critics' Choice and a lot of these, uh, you know, the BAFTA, the Screen Actors Guild, the Writers Guild, they call they all inform the way the Oscars are going to go. Golden Globes get the first crack at it this weekend. Right. And we will most certainly have a show that focuses on the Oscars. Maybe there are own picks for the Oscars or maybe we just do more of an in-depth on the Oscars. We don't really do that for the Golden Globes. Because no one cares. Oh, Cole. Um, I beg to differ. I think people will care this year. And I think that is the case because – They didn't go hostless, which the Oscars tried this last year, and to uh, I think some people liked it, some people didn't like it. Middling success. Right. But I think people like this host of the Golden Globes because it is Ricky Gervais. This just reminds me of when they kept bringing Billy Crystal back over and over again because they just didn't have anywhere else to go. They know what used to work, and they know what hasn't been working, and so they just kind of go back to it without any imagination. Kind of like Star Wars. Well, you get these, you know, you get people that complain about Ricky Gervais being too rude or too controversial, but then what happens is they hire somebody that's more of a safe bet, and then people complain about that, and so they just hire Ricky Gervais again. He's saying that this is the last time that he'll ever do it. Do you think he can stick with that? I mean, I think that if they offer him money, then he will probably do it again. <laughs> well, one thing's for certain. Uh, if you're a celebrity in that room, as Ricky Gervais is hosting, you might be a little uncomfortable, which, yeah, I he's he's very funny. But he certainly doesn't shy away from controversial or insulting jokes. I hope people just have a good time and they celebrate the movies. <laughs> and I'm sure... It, nice it, sentiment. Yeah, right. It's probably not going to happen. I, I really don't care. I prefer the hostless thing. I've said it before on this program that I'm the curmudgeon that would like a little press release that just says, these are the winners, and I can browse it and be done with it in about 30 seconds, as opposed to having to watch a three-hour broadcast where... They go out and the celebrities go visit normal people and, like, pat them on the head and say, hey, we love you. And then, you know, they, they act like they're they're normal for a second. And then we see musical numbers and we see bad jokes and we see just celebrities riffing with one another. And I just don't care for the lot of it. All right. Well, there's nothing that's out this weekend that is really going to be winning winning any Awards at the Golden Globes, right? For 2020, yeah. Uh, The Grudge comes out this weekend. It's a remake of a a pretty good horror movie, but this one, who knows? Uh, Neither one of us have seen it, and I probably 
won't for a while. Okay. I might catch it on catch it on Redbox in a few months. Well, speaking of horror movies that are coming out in 2020, there is a new trailer out for it's a sequel to A Quiet Place. Have you a quieter watched place? A quieter place, and uh, then the third one will be a quiet, the, the quietest, quietest place. place. They should have said uh, a quieter place because the first one wasn't quiet enough. That's the tagline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then I think the the last one won't even have a title; it'll just be blank silence. Yeah, in parentheses. I like to say quiet. See, why don't, why don't movie executives ask us to I, do their marketing? Why don't for them? they, indeed, Cole? Have We've you watched the, the trailer? No, heck no. I hate trailers. Uh, I try to go in as blind and as um, unassuming and as quiet as I possibly can into movies. I think that's how I went into the first one with low and unknown expectations, and I was amazed by what I saw. I plan to try to do the same for this one. You know, Cole, it may surprise you to hear that I also have not watched the trailer. You're the trailer guy, Jeff. Come on. Well, I know, but trailers seem to be following this continuous trend of let's show everything in the trailer to get people interested in seeing it. It's one of the reasons why um, Jumanji The Next Level wasn't as fresh or as surprising as I would have liked it to have been because – they gave away so much in the trailer that there just wasn't – there weren't really any surprises left for me. However, this is a film that I've got to go in – I've got to go in blind uh, and I am so excited to do it. I believe it comes out in March. And the other reason I didn't watch it is because I figured at some point between now and the time this movie comes out, I will be in a movie theater and they will most likely show a trailer for it. You won't be able to avoid it forever when you go to the movies. Its release date is scheduled for March 20th and later on in the show, once we're done giving our awards for the best of 2019, we're also going to be looking ahead this first show of 2020 to what we're anticipating the most in 2020. I think Quiet Place 2, Part 2, is going to be on that list as well. Well, speaking of lists and what's going to show up, we already mentioned Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And when we return, we're going to be telling you which movies you should probably have seen in 2019 and maybe some that you probably can skip. That's up next here on Screen Cleaning. The people that are left are not the kind of people worth saving. That, of course, is the theme from the biggest movie of all time. Right, Cole? I'm pretty sure the numbers bear that out, and my personal opinions do as well. It's Avengers Endgame. And why are we talking about Avengers Endgame, Cole? Because it came out in 2019, before we closed the book on the year that was, even though we took care of our best of the whole decade last year. This is our annual best of the year show, where we look back and say and give our own little awards the best. We give the best of news every single week. This is the best of the movies here on Screen Cleaning for 2019. So we've got a few different categories that we're going to be mentioning these films in. The first one being the best time at the movie theater. Then we'll move along to the movie that made you want to sing along, right, Cole? Yeah. Uh, the best dad movie, which I think is an interesting <laughs> category. Uh, not necessarily, you know, there's a 
dad character in a movie who's the best dad ever, but like what what the best movie to see with your dad is, right? Or, or what do you think that the dads out there, the just generic 35 to 55 demographic that gets looked over in marketing, what are they enjoying at the sure. theaters? Sure, yeah. Uh, best animated feature, which I'm very intrigued to see what you think was the best animated feature of the year, Cole. Best original movie, you know, in a year that was just so saturated with sequels and prequels and reboots and superhero films and tentpole movies. Intellectual property. Right. What are there any movies left after all of that dust settled? Was there was there any movie left that was original? So we'll get to that. And then, of course, the best movie overall. Now, Cole, earlier in the program, we we talked about there being a trailer for A Quiet Place 2, A Quieter Place. I don't know if that's what they're really calling that's it. That's what we're calling That's what they it. should call it, right. And when that film came out, you and I saw this uh, independent of each other, and you and I had a very similar experience, however, yep. that this was one of the most unique experiences we've ever had at the movie theater and could very well be for the next 10 years because because – Things are so quiet. The characters hardly have any dialogue. There could be, uh, you know, peril at any turn. You don't want to be that person that is opening up a candy bar, shuffling your hand through a bucket of popcorn. You want to make sure that it stays a quiet place. And so it was such an amazing experience to have at the theater. And so we took a look to see if there were any movies that could kind of equal that or at least... Uh, come close to, you know, mirroring mirroring the experience that we had with A Quiet Just Place. Just capturing a unique time. This was an award that we gave out last year, and I think Quiet Place won it for both of us. But this year, the most unique or the best time or the, the time we had at the theater that we will always remember for both of us, it was Avengers Endgame. Right. For me, I, I'll never forget uh, drinking a cherry Coke and then realizing halfway through the three-hour and two-minute runtime yep. of this film that I had made a huge mistake. <laughs> and so for me, uh, I was listening to people get emotional because this was the culmination of— Me right tr- next to you getting tr- emotional, <laughs> specifically. 20-plus films. Me getting emotional because I was in probably the, the worst pain of my entire life trying to uh, control my bladder. I, I'll leave it at that, let's just say— the but, Times, my, my favorite review from from a prestigious movie reviewer, right, uh, on Twitter was Times to go and, and relieve yourself and use the bathroom <laughs> for Endgame. Five that, minutes before it starts, uh-huh. right after the credits are done rolling. You have to watch the whole thing, and it keeps you in that seat. It's so good. Wow. And it really was a unique experience, aside from... The culmination of 20-plus films over a very short period of time, less than 10 years, right, Cole? Well, 11, or 10 years? 11, 11 years. years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a, a wonder or a marvel, if you will, okay. to behold, because you have all of these famous superheroes on the same screen at the same time for the first and only time, and it was quite an exciting thing to see. And after seeing so many other big franchises that at one point or another have been important to me, Star Wars, Game of Thrones, having grand endings that very much fell short for both of those other ones, seeing Marvel actually 
pull it off and like run through the finish line and have it all work. Not only just barely being okay and oh that was a passable, yeah, I'm satisfied as a fan, but to truly be like the greatest moment sitting in a theater for me of all time was a credit to the organization and the planning and and just the execution of what they did. I I can't disagree with you, Cole. And this was, it should have been the year for Star Wars, right? This should have been, this we should have be, we should be giving the award to Star Wars, but you and I just had kind of a shrug of the soul, shrug of the shoulders reaction to Star Wars Rise of Skywalker, right? And, you know, they're going to keep making Marvel movies. And just like Luke Skywalker says in this last movie, Nobody's ever really gone. We're not done seeing Star Wars movies either. So maybe those movies will improve and maybe we'll include it in a similar category in the years to come. But not this year. Not this year. 2019 (laughs) was the year for Marvel. Belongs to Avengers Endgame. So, Cole, this was the best time we had at the theater. But certainly there were movies that were released in 2019 that we had a good time in. And maybe so much so that... Maybe we're tapping our toes a little bit, or maybe we're singing along with some of the songs that were being played on screen or that were a part of the soundtrack. And so we want to talk about movies that made you want to sing along, right? The second most unique time, not saying, you know, satisfying or good or, you know, emotional the way Endgame was, but the second most unique time I had in a theater was seeing Cats on the big screen. And uh, and I've seen it now three times on the big screen. And on purpose? I have, and very much so. Okay. And I've very much enjoyed it every single time. And, and it's hard to really articulate what it is about Cats that gets me going. But it's not totally the songs, right? When I approached Jeff with this category, I think you thought that I was going to say Cats. I hoped you wouldn't. I but and I'm not. Okay, good. The most the best <laughs> sing along that I had in the theaters was yesterday. Oh my goodness. Okay, explain. I love the Beatles. Yes. And that's where it starts and ends. These this I, this was able to bring back all of those songs that I grew up with and that my mom gr- actually grew up with and then like forced me to grow up with them as well. Um and and I, I really do. I, you forget how many of their songs are amazing. And I forgot how many that I immediately knew. Even the small little references, you know, uh, whenever he still is figuring out that people don't know that the Beatles are gone, uh, he casually drops a line of, will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? And she's like, what? Why 64? And like – Mm. They were just casually dropping lines and, and dropping the lyrics in addition to singing along with the Beatles throughout the whole movie. And I really loved it. I remember seeing this and feeling or thinking, man, not only is this so incredibly clever, but also to see the impact that the Beatles have had over the decades and to just sit there in amazement at how many great hits the Beatles had in really such a short period of time. We're talking maybe six years, right, Cole? Mm -hmm. And yeah, just singing along and enjoying this rom-com that uh, was really one of the better, more enjoyable films of the year. But there's a film that I saw that really made me want to sing along, so much so that we looked up this soundtrack on YouTube many, many, many times. We've had several dance parties in our living room just 
singing and dancing along with the ridiculous The Lego Movie Two, the second part, which is de- delightfully redundant, and I will say it's not as funny or as fresh as the original The Lego Movie. But did the song get stuck inside your head? Absolutely, and it got stuck inside my heart as one of the later songs on the soundtrack Aww. would attest. Um, but this film is so clever, and there's a reason the first movie was not a musical, and the second movie is more of a musical. And I, it's, I, I think we're sit past the spoiler stage, right, Cole? Yeah, it came out in Marchish. So in the first movie, there's this struggle between a father and a son, and learning to, for the the father really learning to, you know what? I need to learn how to play with my kid, and mm-hmm. I need to let him play with my toys and be a part of this world because it really helps bridge that gap and it creates this bond between a father and a son, right? In the Lego movie too, the second part, you see that bond transfer over from the son and the father to the son and the sister. Very much like how the dad was too serious about his Legos in yes. the first one, the son was too serious about his play. He wanted there to be strict rules for how how you're supposed to play with the Legos. And no, this character is this kind of thing. And I remember being like that when I was a little kid. I was yes. very, very convinced that the way I was seeing my Legos and the way I was imagining it was the right way. And I hated when people would <laughs> interfere with that. And, and I was an only child, so I didn't I didn't have to learn this little lesson yeah. until I was much older. But he learns over the course of this that you can be a little looser and you can have fun. Well, and not only for that, the sake of it, fun. it says volumes about what teenagers go through, right? They have this brooding phase where it's not cool to be happy and have a good time, right? And so when you get the when you get the film from the sister's perspective. Everything is sunshine and lollipops, right? Where the whole thing is a musical. And it is infectious, and it is so much fun to listen to and enjoy on screen. Legos can be whatever you want to be, I think. Hmm. Okay. So we've already kind of talked about this relationship that this son and this father had in the first The Lego Movie. But it also makes us think about what are some movies that... What's a movie that your dad would really enjoy going to see with you? Or what is a film that has a good portrayal of a father and a son relationship on the screen? So, Cole, in the best dad movie category, what comes to your mind? I I thought immediately—I mean, and I was thinking this while I was watching it for the first time, that this is— this is a dad movie, not my dad specifically, maybe, but Ford v. Ferrari, where you just have two guys fighting against the man and driving cars fast. That feels like a dad movie to me. Just like when you go into to the hat store, right? And and a lot of the kids are buying the flat brimmed and keeping the stickers on the front of it <laughs> and trying to get that. A dad hat is the classic, you know, curved, beat up. Sure. Just, that's what they call it. And you picture going out lawn mowing with it. Ford v. Ferrari, like, is that that is a dad movie to me. Yeah, and... I don't know that my dad was ever really into fast cars, but my father-in-law certainly was, and he passed that on to my wife. And so (laughs) we've got pictures of cars up in my little boy's room. And, yeah, if this was not 
one of the most enjoyable times at the theater I've had all year. It would certainly be in the top three, for sure. This is such a fun, edge-of-your-seat thrill ride that how could you not enjoy this with and your dad? When Christian Bale and Matt Damon were like wrestling around on oh the my grass, goodness. and Matt Damon's wife just says, "Hey, are y'all done yet?" And he said, "Give me a minute." And they just get back to wrestling, and that just that felt like a dad moment. For me, I I didn't go with there. There is a portrayal of a father and son in this film, and it's not healthy at all. Um, however, there is a bond of sorts and there is a, a reconciliation of sorts. It might not end the way that you might want it to, um, but there's also a reconciliation between a father and his family mm. and a father and his child. So I had as one of my favorite movies of the year a film called Ad Astra, a film that not nearly enough people saw. I saw it on an IMAX screen and I could feel the explosions and the rumblings like go all the way up my body. And I had a fantastic time. Um, this is a film that, yeah, has a very – focuses on a very strained relationship between a father and a son. The father played by Tommy Lee Jones who is kind of this hermit out in space that may or may not have something to do with all of these catastrophes that are happening in, on Earth. And Brad Pitt's character is tasked with—they're both astronauts. He's tasked with going to find his father, trying to stop all of these glitches, these—I don't even know what you would call it, Cole. I mean, there were solar these surges, right? Yeah, yeah these surge, energy surges that are, are killing scores of people. Um and his journey to get there to see his dad is so epic. I just I thought it was one of the more original and enjoyable movies that I've seen in 2019. And really, you know, if if you are uh, if you're kind of have a rocky relationship with your own father, this is uh, in a way a nice story to tell uh, to reconcile and to express love for one another. So that's why I would put it as my best dad movie. Yeah, and it's it's very it's a dialogue light. It's pretty mm-hmm. to look at. It's very grand and grandiose. Again, that's another thing that I think of the dad movie. It's just kind of more of a spectacle than necessarily an introspection. Yeah, Cole, this is another interesting category because there are plenty of animated movies that come out over the year. And so many of them are Disney, so many of them are Pixar, and you can pretty much count, you know, with fair accuracy that uh, the Pixar movie and or the Disney movie is going to be the best animated movie of the year. At least that's how the Academy Awards would have us believe, right? Uh, I don't know that 2019 was that year. For, for a Disney or Pixar film. And I agree with that assessment because when we look at our best animated films, uh, again, I want to plug Cats one more time because the animation in Cats was the worst animation that I saw all year. <laughs> um, I Also, you mentioned like feeling the rumbles of Ad Astra. Yeah. It was in Cats of all movies that I, for the first time, sat in one of the theater seats that rumbles for you. You and paid so extra for that, I huh? did. I did not. Okay. It was part of like the screening <laughs> I went as a critic like, okay. to review Cats. They had us sitting in those two specific rows. Um, but I, I turned the rumble all the way up just to experience it. Cause so you could feel every meow 
every time Idris Elba like snapped his fingers and meowed and disappeared into the night. Whoa! I felt it. Okay, so was that your favorite? <laughs> Not my favorite. Movie? Right. Okay. So the worst animation. Um, the best animation I saw was Pokemon Detective Pikachu, but that wasn't a totally animated movie. So computer I don't think animated it quite okay. counts. Mm-hmm. It was half live action as well. So my favorite goes to Leica Studios and Missing Link. Ah, stop yes. motion does count for animation. So this was a movie that came ba- came out way back at the beginning of 2019, mm-hmm. and starring Zach Galifianakis and Hugh Jackman, Zoe Saldana, and uh, just another one of these movies about a missing link, a yeti, a, a abominable, abominable snowman. snowman. Yeah, one of those. <laughs> Why was this one different from some of those other ones? But this one's my favorite because of the interaction that they were be able to build, and because of the journey they really made Zach Galifianakis's missing link, the, the character of the Bigfoot the kind of driving force of him trying to go back to where he belongs. He had he had you know, just been in the Pacific Northwest wilderness for so long, and he wants to go on this journey to find his cousins, the Yeti. And and you see Hugh Jackman kind of change over the course of it. He goes from just being an explorer that thinks finding Bigfoot is going to mean the world to his career to actually loving the man that he finds and helping him out. Okay. So, like I said, just as Star Wars' rise of... Skywalker, that should have been the big movie this year, but just didn't it didn't pan out that way. Toy Story 4 was certainly poised to be the best animated feature of the year. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's probably going to win the Oscar for best animated feature. Uh, I would think. I don't think so. You think Frozen 2 will win? Uh, no. Okay. I think what you're about to say has a legitimate chance. I hope it does. It certainly d- does not have the viewership that Toy Story 4 has. But the film that I'm going to talk about is a film that was shopped around to various studios. Nobody wanted to touch it because it wasn't a computer animated film. It was more of a risk because it was a 2D animated film. This filmmaker wanted to see where would things be with 2D animation had not computer animation completely taken over, right? And This filmmaker came up with something so beautiful and so original and unique that Netflix took notice. And I would not be surprised if Netflix got a nomination for an Academy Award for the film Klaus. Now, this is a film that my wife and I were both very skeptical about. First of all, it's difficult to make a Christmas classic these days. Nobody can seem to get it right. Very true. And um, this is a film about a... a, uh, postmaster general's son who's kind of living the high life, not really trying at at being a good post officer. And so his father says, all right, uh, I'm going to cut you off unless you go to the small town up near the North Pole and uh, you've got to have 6,000 letters mailed in this little town where nobody mails letters and you've got a year to do it and if you can't do it you're cut off financially and you're basically no longer my son. A one last chance narrative. Right. And it it really brings to mind Emperor's New Groove because you have this entitled snob who is pretty sarcastic and loose and I the whole time I kept thinking it almost seems like Jason Schwartzman is like another David Spade in this film. This film is so clever, and it goes behind the the legend of Santa Claus, and maybe gives you uh, gives you one version of 
how or why he became Santa Claus. Such a huge surprise to both my wife and myself. And uh, we will be watching this every year now because it's it's a Christmas classic and just really an altogether great animated feature. And so that's why it was my favorite animated movie of the year. Animation, I think, in 2019 needs to do more than just be CGI yep. and look like every other Disney or Pixar or DreamWorks kind of animated. Mm-hmm. Or Sony animation kind of falls into that same rut sometimes. You know, Leica is doing something. And the medium means something. I think they did something creatively with the animation, with making Bigfoot look unique that those other Bigfooty movies didn't do. And I think with Klaus, they did the same thing. The animation contributes to the story yeah. that's being told as opposed to just being a drawing instead of a live action person. That's right. So if Klaus wasn't my favorite original film of the year, it would certainly be one of them. Then uh, for best original movie, I would have to go with a film that, again, would be in contention for one of the best times I've had at the movie theater. It's a film that I actually enjoyed better the second time that I saw it, and it was Ryan Johnson's Knives Out. This is a film that certainly, while it's an original script, it heavily draws from the genre itself and pays homage to the mystery genre, the whodunit, right? Yep. And... It's it's so interesting because the trailer is almost a, a little misleading. You you go into this movie thinking you know what this movie is going to be, and you really don't because you know the you know the solution to this mystery pretty much within the first twenty to thirty minutes of the film, but then you don't know where it's going from there. So instead of having you guessing who done it, you're actually guessing. Where are they going with this? And it is a fun ride with great casting, a lot of witty and funny dialogue, and uh, certainly a highlight in the whodunit genre. And that's why I give that award to Ryan Johnson for Knives Out. Truly an original premise and an original take on that genre. I have an original take on kind of the the classic Mark Twainy Huck Finney story, buddy, buddy feel comedy, good, like yeah. going going on in a buddy adventure more than a buddy comedy, and that's the Peanut Butter Falcon. I can't from tell over you, summer. I can't tell you how happy I am that we're talking about this film right now. I think it was the most original story, and to be bait, you know, not have a source material, but also to be original the way they cast and the way they approach it. This mm. is the story of Shia LaBeouf's character running across a boy with Down syndrome and kind of helping him on his adventure to go meet uh, a professional, a washed-up professional wrestler from the 1990s uh, and all of the shenanigans that they go through on their way, Dakota Johnson trying to chase him down and, and you know, bring him back and trying to do the right thing. Everyone everyone just has good motivations in this movie. It's, it's a less cynical movie than anything else I saw. And, yeah, it, it was an original idea. And that's why we wanted to give in, – in the year that Endgame became the biggest movie ever and everyone saw it, we wanted to give a category for originals. And I think Peanut Butter Falcon shines in that category. Absolutely. And, you know, we mentioned Klaus and how none of the movie studios wanted to touch that. There weren't many movie studios that were willing to take a risk on Zach, Zach Gottsagen who plays – the Down syndrome character in this movie, because and who he has himself Down syndrome, he, yeah. he has Down syndrome himself, and so they didn't want to take that risk. And these filmmakers just found a way to to get it made, 
And you can see, just in all the interviews, the press interviews for this film, you can see the impact that this young actor had on his cast members and on pretty much the whole crew. And really anybody that has seen this film, this film has a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, the critic score, the audience score, 96%. This is a film that is going to leave you feeling happy and inspired. And just, it's a great, solid story about friendship. You know, handicaps aside, this is just a well-told story. It was lovely. Yeah. All right, Cole. Now, there's one more category that we would be remiss in our duties as hosts of the show if we didn't mention the best, the best overall. of the best. Right. This is a tough one because, you know, there are a lot of good films, and we'll get to the bad ones here later on in the show. But right. those few at the top really kind of contend with each other for that top slot. There, there were some movies that came out toward the end of the year that just blew us away. So what was the one that did it for you, Cole? I think it, if Peanut Butter Falcon wasn't the most heartwarming story that I saw on the screen this year, then A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood was. And it mm. really is my favorite movie and the best movie that I saw this year. In addition to all of the nostalgic ties that I have growing up in Western Pennsylvania and watching Mr. Rogers on PBS every single day as a small child, um, beyond all of that, the way they approached this movie, letting Tom Hanks just act and and not do an impression of Fred Rogers that that's so easy to I mean that got made fun of plenty through the 80s and the 90s as well but that that he just was Tom Hanks but he imbued the spirit of Mr. Rogers and and when he looks at you and then when he looks at the camera as well it just feels good and it it feels like he does care but approaching the story in that different way through someone that's being affected positively from Fred Rogers and letting him be a supporting character in his own movie, I think is a wonderful way to approach the biopic that I have not seen done before. Um, Again, the imaginative scene transitions, playing it like it's an episode of Mr. Rogers and and using the miniatures that he became very famous for. Um, Everything comes together. It's not just a heartwarming movie. It's not just a good biopic. It comes completely together for an amazing singular movie. Cole, this decision was so tough because it's it's kind of almost a toss-up between this movie and the movie I'm going to mention here in just a second. But aside from just having a very positive message, you said it. Tom Hanks is so disarming in this role. You just watch him on screen, and it's like you'd be willing to do anything he asks you to do. Anytime he's on the screen, you're just in awe at this presence. And I love that it honors Fred Rogers so well. And, and portraying it also... his saintlyhood without without totally crowning it as unachievable, he has flaws himself oh, that yes. he brings up. And, and to end the whole movie with, with him bringing back around, you know, pounding on the low keys of the piano when you're having a bad day. And that's that's kind of how we're left to see him not not as perfect mr rogers but as a man that is trying yeah is beautiful right and i think fred rogers would say something akin to we all get angry sometimes and that's okay it's okay right yeah beyond the great message of this movie i thought the 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 filmmakers uh made some amazing choices that were so clever the transitional scenes the the extreme close-ups to really help you feel just as uncomfortable as the main character in this film is. 
And I love the breaking of the fourth wall, but then pulling it back and realizing, oh, no, it's not really breaking of the fourth wall. You have to see this film. It is not only a feel-good film. It is just a well-made story that is told so well. Um, The one that I ultimately chose over A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood is a film that isn't as – this one's a little more divisive among audiences and critics alike – But I wouldn't be surprised to see it nominated for Best Picture. And at the very least, it'll get a Best Original, no, Best Adapted Screenplay Oscar nomination for Taika Waititi and Jojo Rabbit. This is a film that shouldn't really be as effective or funny as it is because it deals with such heavy subject matter, right? This is World War II seen through the eyes of a 10-year-old, a 10-year-old boy who thinks that he is a Nazi, who thinks that he is a, a giant fan of Adolf Hitler, so much so that Adolf Hitler is his imaginary friend. So you get to see Adolf Hitler played as a buffoon by Taika Waititi, who is clearly having a wonderful time skewering uh, Hitler. But beyond all of the hilarity that ensues from that premise, this is also a very heartwarming film. You wouldn't think so based on everything, all of the ridiculousness you've seen up until the middle of the film. But it just so happens that this little boy who thinks he's a Nazi, his mother is hiding a little Jewish girl in their home. And he discovers her and he's very torn because if he, you know, tells the authorities that he has this Jewish girl in their home. That puts himself and his mother at risk. And uh, so he starts to develop this friendship with this girl that really blossoms into something sweet and very humane. And just like any other World War II movie, no matter how lighthearted Life is Beautiful was, <laughs> at some point, you've got to get back to reality. And there there is a, a bit of a turn in this film that is just absolutely heartbreaking. You're going to feel very different uh, emotions while watching Jojo Rabbit. You could hate it, but it could also be your favorite movie of the year. And it certainly was my favorite movie of the year. On Screen Cleaning, we like to talk about the best. And Jojo Rabbit and A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood and all the other movies we mentioned here, we believe are the best from 2019. But you can't have the best without the worst. And so when we come back, we're going to wrap this around, talk about some of the the least enjoyable times we had at the theaters in 2019, and then also uh, bring it back up again, look ahead to what we hope will be the best and on this list a year from now in 2020. This is Screen Cleaning. My neighbor. Cole, put down your phone. We're doing a show here. You know, I got distracted. Sometimes when you're watching a bad movie, you just got to entertain yourself. And so that's what happens. You know, I wish somebody would have put this game in front of me when I was watching Angry Birds 2. And I'll certainly say more about that here in a minute. But... As we enter uh, this part of the show, we want to talk about the least enjoyable films that we viewed in 2019. Can't have a best without a worst. Right. And while Angry Birds 2 wasn't the worst film that I've seen this year, it certainly was a film that you could tell they were trying to cater to the adults because the whole movie is chock full of 
80s and 90s references and songs. I think I probably enjoyed it less than Angry Birds, the original film. You did take one of your daughters at least to go see this with you, right? It wasn't just you. At the, the very theater. least, at the very least, I got to sit with my daughters and eat popcorn and listen to them laugh. And it's kind of a tragedy, too, because the short film that preceded Angry Birds 2 was absolutely delightful. And I would not be surprised if it was nominated for Best Original and or Best Animated Short. They did like a little Pixar thing where they showed a movie before the movie. Right. It's called yeah. Hair Love. And you, you're watching this, this sweet little film about this poor dad who is trying to come up with this hairdo for his daughter that is going off to this dance recital, uh-huh. right? And come to find out that this dad is just having a really tough time because his wife is not there to do this task because she is in the hospital suffering Aww. from cancer. So it really pulls on those emotional heartstrings. And it's such a sweet story about this little girl and her dad. And yeah, and then they show you Angry Birds too, and it's really quite a tragedy. <laughs> well, there's another movie that I thought was one of the worst I saw this year, and it was also preceded by a pretty good animated film, uh, a pretty short animated film as well. Um, I didn't see it in the theater at the time, but uh, Dumbo, the original, pretty good and short and animated, but yeah. Dumbo, the live action, not Whoa. so much. Wow. Okay. So what was so bad about it that it's one of the worst ones you've seen this year? Um, it falls victim to the cardinal sin of the Disney live action remake in that it did not add anything. And if anything, it, hmm. it took some things away. Baby Mine had had some power in the animated and it didn't so much in this one. They put okay. more attention on the kids getting to know Dumbo in this one and the kids weren't that great of actors. And you didn't, <laughs> I kind of agree you with you. You could kind of tell that they were looking at a, you know nothing that would eventually become a CGI elephant and that's really tough. And yeah. you know, it, when you're a young actor, it's tough to look at something that isn't there and pretend it is. And just the whole thing was Boring and Danny DeVito wasn't quite fun enough, and Michael Keaton wasn't quite cartoony villain enough. And I, that's it, it that, just wasn't good. That was my least favorite part of the film was his portrayal of this rich sleazeball. Uh, I don't know what he was doing with that character, but it was off. It yeah. was off putting and the wrong choice. Let's just say. Okay, well, um, this was kind of the best of the worst movies that I saw of any of these films. This is the one that I would be most likely to rewatch. I knew what I was getting into. You could watch this trailer and know this is a bad movie. They're not pretending to be anything other than a bad movie. This is just a film for kids and parents to go to and for the kids to laugh at and the parents to be happy that their kids are happy. And over the Thanksgiving break, when there were several movies that my family uh, was going to break off and go see, I decided to take one for the team. I said, Janelle, you go and see Ford versus Ferrari. My A great movie. M- my mother and I, we will take one for the team and we'll take all of these other kids to go see Playing With Fire. Which is a firefighter movie with John Cena and Keegan-Michael Key and John Languizamo. So the casting's okay, but the movie really has no substance. It's just a string of of sight gags and mishaps when these firefighters are put in charge of these three kids that they rescued from a fire. 
And uh, but again, it wasn't. I didn't feel icky afterwards because it it wore its heart on its sleeve, and I can appreciate it on that level. It just ultimately wasn't that great. It plays on the uh, the classically funny thing of big tough guy, three men and a baby type gets of thing. To, you know, you know, have kids in charge next year. And once we finish talking about our our bad movies, we're going to talk about the good that we hope to be in next year. Uh, Dave Batista is going to be in My Spy, which <laughs> is very much just big tough guy. With a kid. Yep. Um, okay. But other other bad ones. Uh, can I do two at a time here? Sure. The Curse of La Llorona and Pet Cemetery were two horror movies. I thought you liked Pet Cemetery. That I did not love. Oh. No, okay. it was it was worse than the original in just a different way. Like the 1989 Pet Cemetery wasn't good, but that's just because it was kind of an 89 schlocky bad horror movie. This okay. one just made all the wrong choices. It kind of was – it was too conscious of the fact that it was a remake. It was trying to give you something different, but it didn't have a narrative reason to be doing that. Hmm. It, it Again, it would it would make the twist just because uh, we went the other direction in the original, so let's go this direction here just so we have a reason to make this movie as opposed to, you know, a good script or a good twist to make a movie. And then there's La Llorona. <laughs> right. Um, the uh, the next chapter in the Conjuring cinematic universe that is still going on. And in 2020, we will get The Conjuring th- four, three. 3. Annabelle 3 came out this year also along with The Curse of La Llorona. Slightly Sheesh. better. Um, I keep track of all of that, so no one else apparently needs to. Okay. Uh, it was just fine. Not particularly scary. I can't remember a single jump scare from it. I can't remember much of what the plot was going on. Not a lot of good dynamic, just a forgettable horror. Okay. Well, I'll I'll rattle off a couple more here. Also, another couple of animated films, Secret Life of Pets 2 and a film called Wonder Park. Secret Life of Pets 2 was one that I was actually surprisingly looking forward to, surprisingly because I did not enjoy the first film at all. But the marketing for this film was very clever. You got to see little vignettes from all the different pets. But more importantly, you got to hear Harrison Ford as a dog. In a gruff Harrison Ford voice. The dry humor that they have him display in this trailer is it was actually quite funny. But the film as a whole is just a mess. It's They can't string together a coherent plot and very... I don't even want to say disappointing because I I guess in my heart I knew it wasn't going to be good. (laughs) But then there's Wonder Park, a film that really nobody saw, which is a shame because it cost a a lot of money to make. And it's about this girl with an amazing imagination who wants to make amusement parks. And all of her stuffed animal characters seem to come to life. And she goes on these adventures with them. Again, a plot that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. It's a movie that I guess could have been good, but it's so forgettable. It's it's just Nickelodeon, though. I have a feeling that they were just going to try to turn it into a, a TV show or kind Maybe. of juice some marketing out of it. The fact that it didn't do well in the box office is not the end. Uh, maybe unfortunately for Wonder Park. I'll tell you what was the end of something though in 2019, and that's the end of 20th Century Fox's run with. The X-Men. It has been sold off to the Marvel Studios under the Disney umbrella and probably for a good thing because their last entry into the most up and down franchise, I think, in cinema history 
was the bottom point of it. Dark Phoenix in 2019. You know, as Marvel was ending with a bang, Dark Phoenix ended with a whimper. So my least favorite movie of the year is one that I really wanted to root for. Have you ever been in a movie, Cole, and have you just been cheering it on internally the whole time like, just please be good. I want you to succeed. I want to like you. Dark Phoenix. Okay. This was a film that I could I could just feel myself saying, come on, just say one thing that's funny and I'll like you. Just say, just, just do it. anything that I would be interested in because I really want you to succeed. It was a film called Little. Oh, yeah. Little was basically the opposite of big and— Astute assessment, but cinematically as well. (laughs) In quality, it's also the opposite of big. Tom Hanks was nominated for Best Actor for Big. Nobody in this film was or will be nominated for anything, and I did not laugh a single time, even though I I so badly wanted to. So little was just uh, a little too little, a little too late, I guess. My last was also kind of directed at kids, and the worst movie I saw was Maleficent to the Mistress of Evil, I think is what they subtitled it. Mm. Um, It's the sequel to Maleficent, which was a pretty, I I think, decent in the realm of Disney live-action remakes in going in a different direction, but it didn't really have anywhere else to go after Maleficent ended. They made a second one, and it didn't have a lot to do for its runtime. There was a giant war scene in the middle of it that really did not belong in the middle of a kid's Disney movie, and the whole thing just fell entirely flat. Hmm. All right. Well, thank goodness we can put those movies behind us, and we probably don't need to talk about them ever again, Cole. I agree. But there are some films coming out in 2020 that hopefully won't be on this list next year. These are films that we're looking forward to, actually. That's up next on Screen Cleaning. Welcome to the park. Have a nice day. Ah! How is this possible? Hello. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Cole, but this was a film that... Didn't this movie already come out in 2019? It was supposed to. Sonic the Hedgehog's animation wasn't totally baked whenever they put the first Hmm. trailer out there for the world and instead of cats when they got uh, some negative reaction to their trailer and then they pushed on and put out a not great looking movie anyway the sonic people to their credit stepped back for a second and said wait we will release this sometime in 2020 we're going to fix the animation and we're going to make a good movie for you and now because i was one that complained i plan to invest my dollars into that hard effort from animators in the Whichever studio it was, those those hardworking folks <laughs> that sat in front of computers day and night to make this a better looking movie for me. And I am now anticipating it greatly coming out in 2020. Well, I don't know that I'm looking forward to seeing that one. And I'm certainly not looking forward to seeing this film. But the t- title was clever enough that I thought I should mention it. I did not like The Hitman's Bodyguard. Uh, but the title of the sequel is... The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, <laughs> which is is funny enough that, you know, I probably still won't see it. A movie that you and I saw 365 days ago today, Jeffrey, was Escape Room. That's I right. I know because we went on my birthday. And, and we had a good time. We did have a good I was sort of surprised, actually, it didn't come up in your worst of 2019. But I enjoyed it. It, it was good enough, right? There's going to be an Escape Room, too. I don't know if 
either one of us are clamoring for it, but <laughs> it's going to happen. But there's there's even better ones. There's ones that have waited longer than just from 2019 to 2020 to get a sequel out of them. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's going to be a new Top Gun. We've been yep. waiting since the 80s. There's going to be a new Bill and Ted. We've Bill been waiting Ted since the 90s. Face the music. There's going to be a new G.I. Joe. It's been a while since really? we've had one of those. Okay. Well, you know I'm a huge sucker for Christopher Nolan, so much so that uh, you and I purposely didn't watch the trailer for Tenet that's going to be coming out on July 17th, but that's certainly one I'm looking forward to. I mean, I think that's the most anticipated. Oh, probably, yeah. I, I would think for me, as I'm looking through all of these, you're going to get a couple of Pixar movies. You'll get Soul and Onward. Onward. Mm-hmm. There's that's also the Chris Pratt and Tom Holland buddy fantasy adventure. Right. There's Wonder Woman 1984, which Ooh, let's looks talk like comic it could books, be fun. Then. Yeah, okay, sure. so we've got a Venom 2 with Tom Hardy. We've got Morbius starring Jared Leto, also in the Spider-Man cinematic universe. And then from the Marvel proper side of things, Eternals and Black Widow. DC, you mentioned Wonder Woman. There's Birds of Prey or The Fantabulous Emancipation of Harley Quinn, which I absolutely love titles like that. Okay. And talking about waiting for movies, it doesn't have quite as long of a wait as like Top Gun or something, but I've personally been waiting a long time to see New Mutants actually come to screens. And I've been anticipating this one for years and it might finally come out in 2020. Okay. I'm staying optimistic. It's on the schedule. All right. Well, this one's not a uh, superhero movie, but it kind of goes back to what you said about films that we've been waiting a long time for another sequel. I don't know that I was waiting for this one. In fact, I didn't even see the sequel to Legally Blonde, but apparently there's going to be a Legally Blonde 3. Not sure what it'll be titled. I hope it's not Legally Blonde 3 because the second one was called Legally Blonde 2, Red, White, and Blonde. <laughs> so there's got to be some punny, clever twist on this one. It also says directed by TBD. So It's that's coming out in sign. 2020, but they're not sure it's who's going to direct it. It's coming out May 8th of 2020. Yeah, I, I imagine that that's going to get pushed back. We waited a long time to see a director on Bond 25. But we do now, and it's got a vision, and it's looking good. We've got trailers, and No Time to Die is pretty high on my list of anticipated as well. Mine, too. And then, of course, you and I are definitely going to go see A Quiet Place, too. Yep. Mentioned that one at the start of the show. We have not really had a lot of love for Disney live-action movies, but I will admit, uh, the trailer for Mulan looks pretty pretty good. It's going to be something different. That's what we've been asking for. Give me a reason to go see this and not just go rewatch the animated. Mulan's going to accomplish that. Jungle Cruise is another Disney live action. Jumanji Part 3. Along the lines of (laughs) uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, really, where they base a movie off of just a ride. All right. So those are the movies we're looking forward to in 2020. But we also want to end the show, as we always do, by doing a little panning for good. There's good in them dire hills. Cole, I want to talk about a film that came out uh, the tail end of 2018. The reason I'm mentioning it in our 2019 show is because I didn't see it until the beginning of 2019. I'll allow it. And I don't really ever mention uh, R-rated films in our Panning for Good segment. If there is a way for you to see this movie edited, I would recommend it because this film will get you talking to your children probably more effectively than any other film I've seen in a long time. It's not a not necessarily a, a feel-great movie, 
But it is a film that makes you uncomfortable, which I think can can be important as you are trying to have these important conversations with your children. It might get a little uncomfortable, and that's okay. There are some film or some scenes in this film, which is called Eighth Grade, uh-huh. that are so raw and real that you are going to be uncomfortable, and you're going. It's going to almost feel like a horror movie because. Oh no, what if my children are in a position that this character is in? Or, oh no, what if they already have been and they haven't spoken with me about it? And it's just such an awkward, real, raw film. But at the heart of this film, there is a dad who just is doing his best to raise his eighth or his, I don't know how old you are in eighth grade, but 13. Yeah, 13, trying to raise his daughter by himself. After the mom is out of the picture and he's doing the best he can and you're really, you feel for him and maybe you've been him at one point or another. It's a film that is certainly worth checking out if for no other reason than to spark these conversations that you really ought to be having with your children to keep them safe and also to let them know that you love them. I would guess that a year ago this weekend, I on this program called 8th Grade my favorite movie of 2018, and I will reiterate everything that Jeffrey just said. It is a fantastic movie. Well, Cole, here's hoping that 2020 brings us a bevy of other wonderful movies and maybe a, uh, you know, less, fewer bad movies. Is that that hoping for too much, Cole? It's a good resolution to have. (laughs) There's not much I can do about that. But, uh, yeah, only time will tell. That's going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. Happy 2019. Happy New Year. And happy 2020. We'll be back next week to give you the very best in entertainment. This is Screen Cleaning.